I hope that you have a study guide, and if you do, you might uh, look at it while you're turning to Genesis chapter 34. Genesis chapter 34. Jacob has come home now with two wives and two other maids and a host of children, and we're going to see him today entering the promised land the land that God had said he would give to this family, which will become a nation, and we're going to see what he does. We'll look at Jacob's detour, and then the disgrace that resulted from that, the deception of the brothers, and then the danger that that caused. The outline sounds like a rather depressing departure from the joyful Christmas season. But these are the kinds of things that remind us of why God designed a Christmas season, why he sent a Savior to die for our sins. In Genesis 34, we see what happens when a man forgets to consult God. God's name is not even mentioned in this entire chapter. That means trouble in the promised land. Now, we want to begin our study this morning with one question. How can one avoid being forced to do something that is wrong? Because that's what's happening in our lesson today to Jacob's daughter. Well, generally speaking, we could say follow God's ways, stay away from the temptation of sin as best you can, and guard your heart with all diligence. In the book of Proverbs, we are given many instructions that are more specific in nature than just these general steps. Proverbs 4:14, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. And the same chapter, verse 23, guard your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Another opinion that I think would be applicable from today's lesson would be to stay under the protection of God-appointed authority. In this case, God's appointed man failed to exercise any authority. What happens when the one in charge fails to take charge? We will see. What if you find yourself on your own? What if the one in authority is just out of the loop? Well, we still have the Holy Spirit. We still have God's Word that guides us. And here's what he says in the book of Psalms, a very familiar passage. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Let me give you a paraphrase of those short verses. You are indeed a happy man. You don't listen to the advice of those who don't walk with the Lord. You don't hang out with those who are chasing the pleasures of the world. You don't sit there and listen to those who are mocking God. Instead, you are excited about God's Word. You pour over it day and night. The detour in his message last week on Genesis 
Genesis 33, Jacob's 20-year reunion with Esau, Paul reminded us that Jacob ran into some difficulties when he got back to the promised land. He appeared to revert back to some of his old ways instead of trusting in God. Now, if you're in Genesis 33, when you look in verse 14, it would seem that Jacob insinuated that he was on his way to visit Esau in Mount Seir. But when Esau took off to go down south on the east side of the Dead Sea to his home in Mount Seir, Jacob went the other direction. Why did he do that? We don't know. You would think that he would have returned to one of two places in the Promised Land, but he didn't return to either. The first place would have been Bethel, and you see that on the map. And Genesis 31:13 says, God speaking to uh, Jacob when he is uh, yet working for Laban in Padanaram. This is where God told him to come home. I am the God of Bethel, that means the house of God, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. So that would be the first place that he might have gone back to was Bethel, where he met with the Lord and where he did something else. Genesis 28 and verse 19, and he called the name of that place Bethel. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. There was a stone set up there in Bethel, And that would have been one possibility for Jacob coming back to that very significant place. But here would be another. His father's house in Hebron, where Isaac and Rebekah yet dwelt. Genesis 35 and 27, we see that later on, Isaac did return to Hebron. Why didn't he return there immediately? We don't know. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Jacob's family was living in Hebron when his brothers, when his sons, sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Instead, we're going to see Jacob returning to a place called Succoth. And he did something there that didn't seem to be in keeping with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then, later, he settled in Shechem. Shechem was located, as you can see on the map, directly west of the Jabbok River, where he had had his wrestling match with the angel, about 20 miles from the Jordan, and it's right in between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Warren Wiersbe reminds us that when we disobey the Lord, we put ourselves and our families in danger. Remember what happened to Abraham in Egypt and in Gerar when he claimed that his wife was his sister. What happened to Lot in Sodom, Isaac in Gerar, Samson in Philistia, Elimelech and Naomi in Moab, 
Peter in the high priest courtyard, standing in the way of sinners. Jacob apparently missed God's will when he went to Succoth, because in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11, we see that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob dwelt in tents as sojourners, probably because they would keep their hearts on the heavenly Canaan, which would be the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise. But when Jacob got to Succoth, what did he do? He built a house, and he built some sheds for his livestock. He settled down among the heathen people, just as Lot had done before him at Sodom. Now, the entire land was inhabited by pagan Canaanites. Many warnings had been given to God's people and were given subsequent to this, but they failed to heed the warning, and we see the results over in the book of Judges. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods and the gods of people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger, and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Why would Jacob have settled down among these people instead of going back to his home where there were some people who knew Jehovah God? Now, I've commented before on the ancient Canaanites and their religion. What you believe about God in a country determines how you act in the culture of that country. You would not want me to name the practices of the Canaanites in their religion. They practiced immorality. They worshipped nature. They sacrificed children. And we are moving back in our culture toward those same kinds of things today. When you embrace the culture, the culture has an influence upon you. So we have to be very careful what we do with the culture. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to win a pagan culture to Christ, but we have to be careful that it doesn't rub off on us, even as it did Lot's family in Sodom, and now Jacob's family in Shechem. So this account is a warning against the future potential corruption of the Canaanites. And, of course, they didn't listen very well to the warning. And all through the history of the Old Testament, we see them being influenced by pagan culture. Now, Jacob, like so many churchgoers today, knew the importance of worship. So he decided to build an altar. And he built an altar at Shechem, and he named it, El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel, or the mighty God of Israel. That's well and good to be worshiping God in the midst of the pagans, but there's something that God desires more than sacrifice. We're told in 1 Samuel, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Obeying the voice of the Lord should be easier for us than it was for Jacob. We have a completed Bible. We have the coming of Christ. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost. But we also have a record of a number of those who embraced the culture, like Lot and Dinah and Samson, 
and Solomon, and Jezebel, and Demas, and Amenius, and Alexander, and Philetus, and many others in Scripture who got up too close to the culture, and it influenced them for wrong. When you take a detour in God's plan, there's always a cost involved. Look at what happened to Jacob. His daughter Dinah was disgraced by Shechem, the prince of the land. Then for the sake of vengeance, his sons, Simeon and Levi, became murderers. Not only was God's name missing in this passage, but the wisdom of God is missing as well. Here, I think, is a sad testimony of Jacob's backslidden condition. There's the detour. Here comes the disgrace. Genesis 34, in the first verse, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Daughters of the land is precisely the same wording in Hebrew that Rebekah had used when she was warning Jacob 20 years earlier, don't marry any of the daughters of the land. They are heathen. You don't want to marry them. They have different ways from God's way. And she gives that very same warning. Dinah went out to see the ungodly. What is that all about? She probably wanted some female companionship after having to put up with 11 brothers and zero sisters. She wondered um, if she was ever going to have any social life, so she went out. The Bible doesn't assign wrong motives to her. She just went out. What does it mean to see the daughters of the land? The Hebrew word, ra'ah, means to look at or to experience. In a metaphorical sense, the word means to regard, to perceive, to feel, to understand, or to enjoy, to learn. We say, oh, I see, in the same way. The word in Greek is haraho, which means to observe, to witness, and to take heed. In Latin, the word is video. If you watch a video of your brother's soccer game or your friend's wedding, what do you do? Well, you can participate vicariously in the action that's going on. You can see and hear everything that's happening right by the comfort of a warm fireside at home. But Dinah was not by the fireside. She was out with the girls. Right there with the daughters of the land, who do you find? You find the sons of the land. And there is a problem in a pagan culture. I don't want us to think that Dinah wanted to do everything that the Canaanite girls wanted to do. I think she was just curious. So she wanted to go out and see what was happening in her town with the people that lived there. And she wanted to have a little fun. Girls just want to have fun. So she just went out there to see what was going on. She didn't anticipate that she was going to have a date And she certainly didn't anticipate what was going to happen on her very first date with the prince of the land. Now here's the question. Did her dad know where she went? Past situations that I've seen like this, either the dad didn't know where she was going, the daughter was going, 
or he didn't know what would happen when the daughter arrived there. How could dad know? He doesn't even talk to a 16-year-old daughter until there is trouble. Then he is on the warpath. Too late to win her heart and to provide spiritual leadership in her life and to discover who she really is inside down in her heart and to take her out on a date and just talk with her and give her the affirmation that can only flow out of a close relationship with dad. Often it's the same thing with sons. Now sons might have a little better chance to be doing some hunting or fishing or playing ball or something like that, but this is very important in the life of a son or a daughter. Now suppose Dinah had been 27 years old instead of sweet 16. What then? Now this is where we can come into some big time controversy. If we suggested that Dinah needed her dad's protection at age 27, modernists would howl. And they would say, we're stuck somewhere in the Middle Ages in terms of the development of social relationships. I would answer to that, use your brain. It depends on where she's going. If she's going to church, she might be okay by herself. Emphasis on the might be. But if she's going out to some singles bar, then look out. There will be a number of Shechem's there waiting for her to arrive. Well, that's her choice. If she wants to get hooked up with her own Shechem at age 27, then that's her choice. Let her go. Now, that might be true, but let me remind you that there's a lot on the line here. It's very risky business when you get into this kind of wrongdoing. You're going to pay more than you wanted to pay. And you're going to pay whether you were forced into it or not. It just happens. It's just natural. It's just the natural inclination when you get out there walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of the scornful. If you put yourself in the way of temptation, be careful, it can happen. We say, how in the world did that happen? Well, this is the way it happens. I'm entertaining something down in my heart that's not right, that's not good. And I might not be out there with a bunch of sinners. I might just be with the sinners in my heart because now I can enjoy inviting the sinners right into my own home on my television or media or whatever it might be. Now, some girl is going to say, well, I wasn't sitting in the seat of the scornful. I was dancing. In that case, I hope you weren't dancing with Shechem or some of his cohorts. Oh, no, I was dancing with a nice Christian young man. What's he doing at the singles bar, standing in the way of sinners? Oh, he was there to be a testimony to those who don't know the Lord. Well, keep in mind that good Christians have precisely the same body chemistry as everybody else on the entire planet. When you put yourself in harm's way, harm is likely to be the result. That's what happened in Nina's case and millions of others since then. Many years ago, I was asked to be a character witness for a young lady, 
Christian young lady who was charged with assault and battery. The same thing happened to her that had happened to Dinah. She was forced to do wrong. And with that, she became distraught and called an old boyfriend on the telephone, and he said, wait right there, and I'm coming. And when he got there, he encouraged her to call Shechem on the telephone long after midnight and tell him that her car had broken down and could he come pick her up. And he did. But when he got there, the old boyfriend gave him just what he deserved, a severe beating. She didn't know what was happening. She didn't understand that she was an accomplice in this thing. Aggravated assault and battery. They even cut him with a knife. When the police got there, they were not too impressed with Dinah's story, or the guy's either. So when I got to the courtroom that day, I and one of the other teachers from a Christian school, I never got to testify because the judge became angry and pounded his gavel and gave them both a prison term. And the bailiff ushered her out the door and the parents were stunned. They could not believe what had happened. And her dad couldn't do anything about it and it was a sad day for that family. But her dad might have been able to do something about it if he had gone to work on it a lot earlier. And I'm thinking that Jacob might have been able to do something about it if he were aware of the dangers. Could that happen to you, young lady? Here's what one Christian young lady had to say. Having grown up in a conservative Christian family, I often bought into the lie that I was above sinning with a guy. For a huge chunk of my life, I honestly felt that I would never, no matter what the circumstances, make a stupid decision like that. Thankfully, the Lord has opened my eyes to help me see that I am a sinner and not above falling. Now that is scriptural. 1 Corinthians 10.12 Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. The solution in these matters depends in large measure on dad and his investment in the lives of daughters and, of course, sons. If you're in your Bible, in verses 2 and 3, Shechem, the prince of the land, saw Dinah, and he declared that he was in love with her. There's a lot of lust in this world being pawned off as love. So be careful. How can you tell the difference between love and lust? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 would be an excellent place to begin. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. And it goes on and on. For another thing, I can tell you that love can always wait to give, but lust can never wait to get. Just what do you think Dinah needed from her dad? The same thing that your daughter needs. This is Christmas season and we think about giving gifts. What's the greatest gift a son or daughter could be given by his or her father? Here it is a dynamic and consistent outpouring of 1 Corinthians 13 love for their mother. If you don't have children, 
He can be getting ready for when the children come with that consistent 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. I would suggest that's the best gift a dad can give his children growing up in the home. Through that gift, they're learning not only how to live the Christian life, but they're learning what it's all about to be married. They're not going to take a course, probably, about being married. I'd hate to see what it looked like uh, if they took one in college or somewhere in our culture. And you can take them to church, and you can teach them the Bible, and you can do all of those things, but what they're really going to get is what they see in the home. And if they see 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, that you have a lot of practice in giving before any children get there, then they might think there's something to this business of Christianity. If they see something else, well, remember what we say, what the parents allow in moderation, the children will indulge in excess. And if what dad allows is anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language coming out of his mouth, I hate to see what effect that's going to have on the children. But we see it all the time, all over the place in our culture. If that's the greatest gift dad can give his children, what is the ultimate gift he can give to his wife if they have children? If they don't have children, he's just giving her that 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. And he continues to do that when children are born. But here's the greatest gift. It's to nurture young people. It's to rear sons and daughters in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Rear sons and daughters in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that includes loving the mother as Christ loved the church. Now what does that mean, nurture and admonition? That's the training and instruction of the Lord. Now notice we don't raise them, we raise cattle. We rear children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that probably reminds us that the rod would be applied to the rear sometimes when necessary. Maybe that's the reason we say it that way. But this is the best thing that we can do for mom. Teach the children according to the Scripture and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Dinah was not so fortunate to have that close relationship with her dad. Do you know why? Her mama's name was Leah. Genesis 29:30. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he sent her a child as compensation. If Jacob didn't love the mother of this girl, she's probably going to feel unloved and insecure herself. And it seems like that is what is going on. No wonder she was anxious to get out of the house and go somewhere and have some fun. Remember that some kinds of fun carry an exorbitant price tag. But you can get it on the deferred payment plan. Have the fun now, pay for it later. Now, guilt obviously can be forgiven. But sometimes those memories just stay with you. So don't be making those memories that you don't want to have later on down the line. 
And we want to be sure that our children don't inherit the same package of maybe some corruption or deceit that some of us may have experienced in an earlier day. Now in verse 2 we have a crisis. Dinah has been defiled. What Shechem did was later declared both to be a sin and a crime in God's law. After something like that, a girl in that day would not expect to have a valid marriage. The word for defiled is an interesting word. We use this word in Alabama all the time. Oh, no. That's, that's the word in Hebrew. Oh, no. So that word means to afflict or oppress by force. He forced her to do wrong. In 2 Samuel 13, Amnon and Tamar, the word anal is used four times translated as force. This is when you're forced to do wrong. This is a sin that is villainous, and it incriminates the entire community. What do you think Dad is going to do about it? How about nothing? What if this were Rachel's daughter? Do you think we would get any action then? Well, I don't know. But in Genesis 34, <clears throat> verse 5, Jacob heard that he had defiled, Shechem had defiled Dinah, his daughter, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came in. And when they came in, they were hot, because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel. This is the first time in the Bible that the nation is mentioned in Israel. Of course, now it's a family, but it's going to become a nation. So Shechem's dad, Hamor, proposed to make a little deal with Jacob and his sons. But look who now is calling the shots. It's not dad. Verse 13, the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah their sister. It was the, son, it was the brothers, the sons, who handled the matter and they had some hot-headed guys on the team. Notice that they are the ones in verse 31 in your Bible who had the last word in the matter. Dad just seems to be kind of watching to see what's coming down the pike here. Well, there's the disgrace. Here comes the deception. We see in verses 8 through 13 an attempt to settle the sin by making a deal. Buy your way out of trouble. Shechem interestingly uses the same word for give that God had used back in Genesis 17 with Abraham. God said, I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now Shechem is trying to give them the land God has already promised. Thanks a lot. Well, here's the lesson. Don't make deals with unbelievers, especially if it involves your daughter. It doesn't matter how big the offer may be. Don't be fooled by diplomacy or glowing reports or money or land or livestock or any of that. Verse 19, So the young man did not delay to do the thing, the thing the brothers told him he needed to do, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. If this was the guy who forced Dinah to sin, and he's the most honorable of the bunch, I'd hate to see the rest of the household. But that's what it says. 
When Hamor came to speak to Jacob and asked for Dinah to marry Shechem, what was he really thinking about besides just making his boy happy? We want to keep the boys happy, but there's something else going on. He's speaking to his own people, verse 21. These men are friendly with us. Therefore, let them live in the land and trade in it. And behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Later on, God is going to say, nope, don't do that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I think, not, knew not to do that even at this time. And in verse 23, will not their livestock and their property and all their animals become ours? Only let us consent to them and they will live with us. Hamar talking there. There's the world's plan right there in verse 23. What's yours is ours and we'll take it. And we might be able to work a little deal here where we can all profit from the transaction. Well, marrying Dinah was just a means to that end, getting Jacob's possessions. There's no heritage of godliness among the heathen, and you can't trust them. What Hamar didn't know was he couldn't trust Jacob and his boys either. They were just as deceitful, at least in this case. So two of Dinah's full brothers, sons of Leah, got an idea. This would be Simeon and Levi. And they were so angry at what happened to their sister that they said, these guys are going to pay, and we are going to make them pay. So they cooked up a little scheme that was a treacherous one, and they were soon guilty of wanton massacre of every man in the entire town, abuse of the covenant, breach of contract, wholesale robbery, and then kidnapping. This was a pretty sad day. On both sides. Genesis 27, 34, and 35. Where do you think this tendency toward scheming originated? Way back years before, young man. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away the blessing. It looks like this tendency toward deceit has been passed down to the sons. What was the unfortunate result of the plan? Well, they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, and then they proceeded to murder all the men in the whole village, and they pillaged the city, and they took the spoil for themselves. John Calvin comments, We must beware, lest after we have become severe judges in condemning the faults of others, we hasten inconsiderately into evil. But chiefly we must abstain from violent remedies which surpass the evil we desire to correct. Unrestrained anger deprives men of their senses. And that's certainly true. Simeon and Levi later regretted what they had done because in Genesis 49, when old Papa Jacob is passing out the blessings, they are overlooked. And he moves on down to their younger brother Judah to give him the blessing. Not only are they not blessed, they are cursed there for what they had done. So there's the deception. Here comes the danger. The last section. What did Jacob think would happen to him as a result of the murder of the men of Shechem? In verse 30, you see. 
He was afraid that all the surrounding Canaanites, Perizzites were going to hear about it and they would come destroy him and his family. Now in that verse 30, he refers to himself and what is his eight times in one verse. He's thinking about himself. Where is his obedient faith that he has shown earlier? Well, sometimes faith ebbs and flows. But here's a man that looks like he's in a backslidden condition. And when that happens, some bad things come to his family. If you're here this morning and you think you might be backslidden, or maybe your focus is not on the right thing at Christmas time, this would be the time to get it right. Now we want to close with a few ideas here how daughters can avoid being forced to do something wrong. And the first thing I would recommend is put yourself under the protection of a good man. Maybe it's your dad, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your brother. Well, what if you don't have a dad and a husband and a brother? Or maybe dad is just out of the loop, missing in action. Well, that's where mom is going to have to step up and just allow the Lord to work through her. And maybe she gets some help from the pastoral staff at the church or some friend of the family or someone who can help. Because we need male leadership in this type of situation, particularly in the development of social relationships. So it's good to be under the protection of a good man. If you're a daughter here today and you're thinking, I don't know, I've been under the protection of my dad for a long time, that is a good thing. You better hang in there until the husband comes along and then he can transfer the protection to him. I think that's the way God intended it. Second, avoid believing the myth that you can just go and watch the action but not participate. She went out to see the daughters of the land. First thing you know, she's involved in what the daughters of the land are doing against her will. She's forced to do it. You know, even when you're watching movies, if you're watching wrongdoing, if you're watching immorality in movies, that's coming on the hard drive. And you can kick that up at any time. So be careful. Hey, do you want to learn about the world? Help some needy people. Get some, find some needy people who need something to be done for them and serve those needy people. Or serve anybody. Serve the body of Christ. Many times, not always, but many times needy people are needy because they have fallen into some of the ways of the culture or the ways of the world. Third, have a plan for emergencies. Don't get into a tight spot alone with some man. We can shorten this. Don't get alone with some man or some boy who thinks he's a man. Don't put yourself in a dangerous situation. Number four, don't get taken by some guy posing as a Christian. Your dad can likely help you in spotting someone who is faking it. And that would be important to know. Let the guys witness to the guys. That was the problem of Dinah in my story. Let the guys take the gospel to the guys. They can handle it. Number six, demand godly character and give plenty of time to identify it. If your parents don't approve of a guy, there must be a good reason. Find out what that reason might be. And girls, listen up. Plan that you're never going to marry someone or be with someone 
that your parents disapprove of. If your parents disapprove, they probably have a good reason. Check it out. Now, there may be some extenuating circumstances where parents are not Christians and they don't care anything about it, but in this context, we need to honor parents. Be wary of love at first sight. That's what happened to Jacob, you remember. Now, Rachel may have been the right one, but he went about it in the wrong way, and a lot of heartache came from that. Never listen to flattering words meant to entice. Words, looks, attention. You think he's interested in you. But he's interested in himself because he wants attention that's going to feed his ego and his drives. And he thinks he can get it by flattering you. Be very careful. Stay far away from any guy who has a case of the got to have like Shechem. Make certain you don't get a case of the got to have. Learn to wait on the Lord. And the last one, welcome the counsel, guidance, and observation of parents. Give them access to your social media. That's a good way to be accountable. Well, some good news for dads and others in authority. God said in Genesis 28:15 to Jacob, Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I promised to you. And I have added here to that verse, God was faithful through it all. We may backslide. We may stumble along the way. But if we do, and we're true believers... The Holy Spirit is going to help us get back on track and get back in the way. Now, I recognize that those of you here today have heard these instructions many, many, many times for years. And yet sometimes it doesn't take what is going on. Well, there's a verse, I think, that's helpful as we close Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Are we walking in faith this morning? When you're walking in faith, you can't see the end result of what you hope to be. But as you trust the Lord and you walk in faith, then you do the things that you know God calls us to do. You honor parents. You love your wife as Christ loved the church. You respect your husband if you're married. I would encourage you that if you're here today and you've been struggling with some of these things, perhaps you need an infusion of the Holy Spirit. We talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there, but the Holy Spirit needs more of you. Maybe you've never come to Christ in repentance and saving faith. If that's the case, you've missed the the whole meaning of Christmas. So as I pray, I would encourage you, if you need to make a transaction with the Lord, this would be a good time to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given us a lot of instruction in Scripture not to weigh us down, not to discourage us, 
but to enable us to live the life that you've called us to live. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit that works in our lives. Lord, I would pray that if there's someone here today who sees that uh, perhaps they've fallen into a backslidden condition like Jacob, that this would be the time to get back on track. This would be the time to repent and ask for the filling of your Spirit and turn to you and to your Word and to some help. And Lord, if there's someone here today who does not know you in a personal way, I would pray that this might be the day. And I pray, Lord, for all of our families, for young ladies and young men who are not yet married, and I pray that you would guide them along your path and help them to avoid the errors of our culture. Uh, Lord, we see a lot of evil things in our culture. And we know that it's everywhere and uh, it influences us if we're not careful. So help us to walk with you. Help us to be firm. Help us to listen to those who would have advice for us and good counsel. We ask now that you would guide us as we pray together. And we pray, Lord, that you would remind us of things we need to pray about And uh, Lord, we pray that your spirit would lead us and we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.